Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. To hear more sermons and to find out more about our church, please visit SugarHillChurch.com. Today we're going to start this two-week series called Big Butts of the Bible. Get your head out of the gutter. It's with one T. Golly. Y'all are so different than the 930 crowd. I said at 930 and they were like, ooh. We got to stop this boy somehow. I said it in this crowd and you're like, ah, it's funny. Yeah, bunch of middle school humorists. All right. Consider the word but for a minute. It's not very imposing, but... It's a little three-letter conjunction you use every day in virtually every conversation. Thank you, but is the polite rejection of an offer. I'm sorry, but is a not very authentic apology. I mean, you've heard it before, right? I mean, I'm sorry, but you provoke me. Excuse me, my mic is falling off here. I'm sorry, but you're annoying. Can you use that one? How about this one? I'm sorry, I didn't mean it. I'm sorry, but it was a bad day. I'm sorry you need help. I'm sorry I had a bad childhood. I'm sorry, but it was the alcohol. I'm sorry, but you're wrong. I like this one. I hope that you'll accept such a well-articulated apology. Love me. Been there? Done that? Have you? Maybe you're the one that shared it, and the other person looked at you like, but, really? But's one of those words. I mean, you just, it, it, whatever you say ahead of it is kind of washed away and erased by the but. I mean, you put a big butt in the middle of a sentence and all of a sudden what comes after the butt's a big deal, right? I mean, you think about that. You know, honey, I went to the grocery store, but I bought a new truck. Yeah. <laughs> what? You know, I meant, to, honey, I was on the way to get you flowers, but look at this rifle. Is it not awesome? I mean, you know, we see but happens a lot in our life. The words that follow but in conversation sometimes are of utmost importance. I mean, consider a few examples. A very complex passage on the birth of Jesus is clarified when, when, when we consider a statement like this. And here's what the Bible says. Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Now, that's big but. I mean, right in the middle, that changed everything, didn't it? I mean, it it changed time. It changed everything. Everything was different because now here came the Savior. A lot of Jesus' teachings on the Sermon on the Mount are said in this clearer context when Jesus used the formula, you have heard it said, but now I say to you. In other words, Jesus came along and said, everything you knew before, but there's a better way. All the rules that you tried to keep, are are, that's, that's good, but... Just love God and love other people. You, do you see the power here in this little bird, little, little word, but that comes along in the middle of these sentences? You see, how about the simplicity of the gospel? When Jesus boiled it down, he said this, he who believes is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. So see, what Jesus says is this, I didn't come to look down a bony finger and find fault with you, I came to give you life and give it more abundantly. But if you choose not to have that, you pick. Because you're not a puppet. I'm not going to force this on you. You pick. But if you don't choose me, you're already condemned. So it's not like I'm condemning you. You already are. Right, does it make sense? Are you with me? If you're still with me, nod your head. If you're still with babies, nod your head. 
Yeah, the crowd up here is like, where's the camera? I got to take a picture. But is a word we ought to train our eye to observe. It gives us great clarity in life, especially when we're reading the Bible. But is a game changer. But calls for action. The Bible records a conversation that Jesus has with his disciples. And he asked them, who do people say that I am? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But Jesus said, but what about you? Who do you say I am? You see, that, that word kind of screams at me and you today and says this, who do you say I am? But all the other things, who do you say I am? Who am I to you? But brings the conversation home. It isn't really about what others think anymore. Now it's about you. But what do you think? Did you know that in Matthew's gospel here, the, the gospels are the first four books of the New Testament, written by Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Hence name, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so the first gospel, Matthew, uh, 183 times, he stops in the middle of a sentence and says, but. 183 times. He, I mean, Matthew has got a lot of buts. And he stops and says 183 times, what I just said, but, he goes on to something else. I mean, over the next couple of weeks, I want us to connect the buts so that we might decide how to get off our... Well, anyway, in Romans chapter 12, in verse 2, here's what the scripture says. Do not conform. So now there's that word, do not conform. It's the picture of don't just go along to get along. Don't, don't, just, don't just acquiesce. Don't just say, yeah, whatever I have to to get by. Don't conform to the pattern of this world. And don't conform to what everybody else thinks is hip and cool and right. Just don't figure, figure this out on your own. Think. One of the most beautiful things about the gospel writers is they shouldn't cause you to tell you what to think. They ought to cause you to think. I mean, Romans over there in, in, in this story says, don't conform to this world. Be different. Be special. Be, be unique. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. In other words, why go the route that everybody can when you can have the best? Allow Christ to transform your mind, connect it to your heart, and your life transform and see something happen. So let's allow a few buts to help us transform our hearts so our minds can be transformed as well. I've always loved the story of Jesus and the leper. Did any of you see this week floating around Facebook the picture of the Pope as he wrapped his hand around that fellow that was covered in boils? Did any of you see that picture? You know what I thought when I saw it? You go, Pope. That's, that's good. Good for you. Way to go, Pope. Now, you listen, I'm, I'm not Catholic, never been Catholic. Listen, I, I don't know the Pope, but you know what I do know when I saw him do that? I thought, now that's what Jesus would do. Jesus wouldn't look at that cat and say, hey. And you know what I thought to myself? You go, Pope. Good job. I wonder if we would do that. Did you know that every time you see a picture of leprosy in the Bible, where someone is covered in those kind of sores, those kind of boils, that the Jewish law of the time would cause that person to take any claws they could find, no matter how dirty or no matter how grimy, and wrap up every part of their body that was covered. They would have to use that to veil their face. And so when they knew somebody was coming near and around them, they would have to scream out loud, I am unclean. 
Now that word, I am unclean, literally would mean this. I'm not worthy to be in your presence. I am worthless. To live the life of a leper in that time was to be living death. And here was this man, totally unworthy. Here was this man that if he drove into this church parking lot today and walked into this building, most of us would look at him and go, ooh, ooh. Not many of us would take our hands and rap on him because you see, it was not only in poor taste to be around him, it was illegal to touch him. He wasn't allowed to be in public. This man had gone years without human touch. I mean, yesterday, Jenny and I were up in the North Georgia mountains. I was not looking at leaves, by the way. I think that's the the biggest colossal lie of all time. I'm going to look at leaves. What? I can see them in my yard. I have to blow them up. Are you kidding me? Really? Leaves? We were at Starbucks in Dahlonega. enjoying a peppermint mocha. And when we walked out of there, Jenny reached down and she held my hand and we walked through that old town of Blanaga. And you know what the sensation is when the one you love reach over and grabs your hand? It's the sensation that tells you this throughout your body. I am loved. Does it get any better than that? I am loved. And here was this man. Look with me in Matthew chapter 8. In Matthew chapter 8, scriptures say, when he, talking about Jesus, came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him saying, now did you get that picture? There Jesus was and there was this huge crowd that had followed him down the mountain. I mean, you realize Jesus has got rock star status right now. I'm telling you, man, where he shows up, people are everywhere. So he's got these thousands of people that have come down the mountain with him and walking through the middle of them without screaming, I'm unclean, I'm not worthy. This cat is breaking every rule in the book. And he comes to Jesus, but I want you to notice what happens. I want you to see the posture that he comes to Jesus in. And behold, by the way, when you read that word behold in the New Testament, every time you read that, you know what it's there for? It's there to say to you, wow! look at this. This is a big deal. Behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him saying, Lord. Now let's just stop right there. See, he got his role right. You see, we we have this hang up with this concept of lordship. You see, in, in that time, what would have been so clear was that this man would have knelt before Jesus to call him Lord because here's what he understood. You are greater than I am. You, you're more powerful than I am. I'm willing to fall subject under your authority because you are Lord. You, you know, some of us today, we are as spiritually diseased as this leper. 
But for whatever reason, our pride simply doesn't allow us to kneel before Jesus and start with that one word, Lord. And he kneels and he says, Lord, if you will, now listen to these five words, you can make me clean. Come on. Is that not cool? If you will, you can make me clean. I don't, I don't even know how, I don't even know how to wrap my head around that. Here's thousands of people with, with this, with this rabbi standing there who's come off the mountain and they're all wanting to see Jesus do something unbelievably cool. And this guy, this leper who offers nothing, he didn't drive up in a beamer. Nobody looked at him and said, wow, he can tithe a lot of money to the church. Nobody looked at this dude and said, we ought to go to lunch with him. I really want to get to know him. That guy could mentor me. Everybody looked at this dude and thought, ew, gross. Why didn't you say you were unclean? Why didn't you warn us you were coming? Scripture goes on and says, and Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. What? Scandalous. Jesus touched him. Maybe the first human touch he'd had in years. Maybe decades. And Jesus reached out and touched him scandalous and saying, I will. Now, do you remember the question he asked? He said, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus' words to him were, I will. I will. And then he said these two words, be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but... Go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. And then Scripture goes on and says, And when he entered Capernaum, a centurion, now that that would be a soldier in charge of 100 men. This is a guy with money, power, and a little bit of fame. Okay, He was a big deal. I mean, he was a main cog in the synagogue kind of guy. A centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, did you see that same word again? Lord... My servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. That's what Jesus said. But the centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers unto me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. Jesus looks at this Roman soldier and says, wow, look at that faith. On the one hand, a man who had nothing, desperate, no hope, no health, he comes to him and he says, Lord, will you? And Jesus said, I will. On the other hand, a man of power and a man of of, of money and a man that had everything he could ever want came to him and he said, Lord, you can, and he did. Now, do you see the common elements here? Both of them came and understood they were under the lordship of Jesus. I need you. You're the only one that can help. My life's in a mess. I'm counting on you, but I need you. And what did Jesus say? I'm here for you. 
mean, you think about that with that backdrop. Imagine the scandal of the scene. A leper approaches Jesus. The breach of the law in and of itself. He pleads, if you're willing, you can make me clean. But here's the real moving part for me. Jesus could have simply said, let it be so. But he didn't. He reached down and he touched that man just like he wants to reach down and touch us today. No different. In this room, we have that same kind of spans. We've got people in this room who their life is hopeless and you've made a disaster of your life and things are not good and you're lonely and you're weary and you're tired and you're broken and life is just beating you to death. And on the other hand, we've got folks that are set for life and doing just great and everything in between. And every one of us have to come with that same big butt and say, Lord, I need you. And when you say, will you, his answer is faithfully, I will. You know why? Because he is God. He is always good. And you are always loved. It doesn't get any better than that. It just doesn't get any better than that. I mean, you think about it. After this man had been healed of the disease, Jesus directs him, don't tell anyone, but... Instead, go and show yourself to the priests. I mean, the reality is that what Jesus told the man to go and do completed the cleansing in a public sense. Now watch this. Jesus is always faithful to do his part, and then he tells us to go do ours. So what is it he's called you to do? You see, what this guy had to do, according to the law, was now that he was healed, he had to go to the priest, and he had to show the priest that he had no more symptoms. And the only person in a public and human sense that could say, you're good to go, was that priest. He had his part to do. So Jesus sent him back to the religious people to say, look what the Lord has done. I mean, you skip that step and he'd simply been a leper without spots. I mean, Jesus did his part in restoring the man's life, but now the man had to follow through on the manner of life that he would live. The big but in this chapter demonstrates a man's confidence that Jesus' compassion and Jesus' love could overcome his own unworthiness. This Roman centurion, an officer assigned to oversee a hundred soldiers, this man understood the chain of authority. Lord, you can. All you have to do is speak the words. And Jesus said, I've not found anyone in Israel Israel with so much faith as you. This man came and humbled himself. He truly believed. In this way, strangers said, we'll sit down at a banquet in heaven, but the subjects of the kingdom, religious people who thought that their heritage assured them a citizenship in the kingdom would be thrown outside. Jesus said, go, it'll be done just as you believed it would. I mean, the Bible's chock full of buts, thousands of them. All of them pointing to this thing. Who is Jesus to you? I want you to look at some of the best buts in the Bible real quick before we go. Romans 6.23 says this, For the wages of sin is death. Now you understand that concept, wages are something you earn, right? The wages are something you earn. So, so tomorrow when you go to your job, no matter how much you may love or, or dislike your work, you go there to get paid. If you're a Gwinnett County fireman, you may love being a fireman, but the fact of the matter is you need to pay the bills and put bread on the table, right? You go to get paid. Those are the wages. That's what you've gone and earned. Romans 6.23 says what we've earned because of our sin in our life is we've earned death. And the description of death is a separation between us and God because he is perfect and in our sinfulness, we can't be in his presence. But then here comes the big but. But the gift of God. Now, did you see that? The gift. All right, let's say, let's say I wrap up this big gift and I go over here to Jim and I say, Jim, here's a gift. I want you to, I want you to have it. And Jim throws it back at me. How do I feel? 
Jim, dude, really, it's a gift. I held my finger right there while Jenny tied the bow. It's a gift. Open it. It's just for you. In a few weeks, we're going to sit down Christmas trees and paper is going to be everywhere. You know why? We're going to give gifts. You're going to say, oh, thank you. It's all what I always wanted. Because we're going to give each other gifts. But the gift of God is eternal life, life more abundantly here and eternally in heaven. How? Through Jesus Christ our Lord. How do I know that? John 3, 36. What does it say? Whoever believes in the Son, that's Jesus, the Son of God. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son won't see life, for God's wrath remains on him. Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do you see that? That Jesus says, you don't have to go get all your stuff together. That while we were still messed up, while we were still messing up, while we were still having a mess of our lives, he didn't say, go clean up your act and then come to me. He did just like he did with the leper. And he said, I'm going to die for you in the middle of your mess. Now, some of you are here today and you're going to say, you know what, Chuck? I'm settled in my relationship with Jesus. I don't need you to, I don't need you to tell me about how to get saved. I know Christ. I know I'm a follower of Jesus. I know I'm a Christian. I know when I die, I'm going to heaven. Chuck, you don't need to tell me all that. But you know what? I, as I look across in the faces of a lot of folks in this room and folks that I've chatted with over the last few weeks, there are a lot of folks in here, you're tired and you're worn out and you're weary, and you just hurt to your bones because this life is just beating you up. Could I give you just a little encouragement today? Psalm 76 or 73 verse 26 says this, my flesh and my heart may fail. Let me stop and remind you that my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And you know what that message says? In the middle of my mess and in the times in which I'm most weary and when those times come when I don't know what to do, some of you today need to come like the leper and say, Lord, if you will, and let him say, I will. And some of you need to come today like the centurion and say, Lord, I... I'm a blessed man, but Lord, I need you. You can speak that into my life. I need peace in my home and in my life and in my relationships. And many of us today need to look like Psalm 73, 26 and say, God, you are my strength and you are my portion forever. And I need my cup to run over. I told this story at the end of 930 and it's worth telling again. I have this fellow that's was been in my community group every Wednesday night the last eight or ten weeks. His name is Julius, 65 years old. Julius grew up on the south side of Chicago running book for gamblers in the, in the mob. He met this girl named Jennifer who had gone to a Billy Graham crusade in Chicago. While there, Billy Graham said, you know what? If you'll call on the name of the Lord, he will answer you and he will be your portion forever. And sitting in that stadium, you know what she said? Lord, I need you. Please forgive me my sin. 
Come into my life. Make me new. You know what he did? He did what she asked. She met this fellow, Julius, and she said, you know what, Julius, you're a nice fellow and I like you, but can I tell you what I learned at a Billy Graham crusade and on a date, that little girl said to Julius, would you like Jesus? He said, yeah, I would. She led Julius to Christ on that little date. They became sweethearts and now husband and wife. Now Julius is 65 years old. He sat in my community group the other night when he told his story, and here's what he said. Everything I have, everything I own, and everything I'll ever be, I owe to Jesus. You know why? Because he understood. But Jesus, all you have to do is say it. But Jesus, if you will, I want it. But Jesus, if you can, I'll do it. And you know what he heard? I will. And I believe he will for you too. Father, thank you for the opportunity to love and be loved. God, thank you that you reached down and you touched our lives. You spoke into our lives truth and joy and hope. And for folks that are here today, I pray like Julius, we'd say, I I need you, Jesus. And as we begin to sing, Lord, I pray there'd people that even come to this altar today and say, Lord, I, I, I want to become that Christian. I, I want to I follow you. For some of them, Lord, I pray they'd come and claim that precious psalm, that they would trust that you are their strength and their portion forever. So, Lord, we love you. And we want you to know that but for you, our lives would mean nothing. But because of you, We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, our King, and our Lord, we pray. Amen.